They teach us that birth needs medical intervention, that labor hurts. So we wonder why we should go through pain to welcome our baby into the world. Then we hear about obstetric violence that leaves us with a bitter taste birth experience and a feeling that there must be more to birth. I hear all of this and I believe with all my heart that another reality is possible. That as women, we all have the keys inside us to birth our babies and their placentas. My name is Mags and with my husband Keith, we are the Quantic family. Every week, I get the privilege to sit with passionate people that speak, speak to us authentically about birth and the quantic energy around pregnancy, birth and beyond. My intention is to diffuse their messages to allow you to make enlightened choices that truly resonate with who you are. I see this podcast as a caring and intimate place where you can allow yourself to be who you truly are and reconnect to the power within you to accompany your baby on his journey. I also wish for your partner to find his place in the middle of this transformational process so that together you become the strong foundation of your family. I truly believe that along we go faster, but together we go further. So join us. Together, let's come out of the belief system created by our society and reconnect with our intuition. Each birth is unique. May yours be truly authentic. What a pleasure to be back with you in this new year 2021. My name is Mags and I hope you are ready to launch this new year's journey towards your true and authentic self. I've prepared for you fantastic episodes with passionate people and surprises are to come along. I am still passionate about birth and the quantic around pregnancy, birth and beyond. Before I leave you with today's episodes, I am so happy to tell you that Keith and I, the quantic family, we've prepared for you a series of th three free videos to involve your partner in making childbirth an enhanced, positive and transformational experience. You will find the link to um, this series underneath the podcast episodes. And you can also find it in our link tree on Instagram and Facebook. Each birth is unique. Make yours be truly authentic. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome to the podcast Authentic Birth. My name is Mags. I'm also known as Authentic Mum on the social media. And today I'm really happy to welcome Eva Budget. Hello, Eva. Hi, Mags. Thank you so much for asking me to be here. 
Um, so, Eva, you are a former nurse from Australia. You lived in Europe the past 10 years. Yeah. You started in the UK. Yeah. And after four years, you moved to France. And this is where you live. <laughs> so we know each other because our children are in the same school. Yeah. And what I love about you is your lovely energy and enthusiasm um, in life. Oh, thanks. Same could be said for you, Max. <laughs> and, 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 and you've got this smile on your face. And one day I remember we were at school and I said, thinking of, that your, of your eldest son that is called Ruben and that is seven-year-old and is in that school full of life. And I said to you, oh, um, happy birthday to Sebastian. And, and, and I thought Ruben was Sebastian. And then I realized the mistake I had men not knowing your story. And oh, was it around here? And you maybe saw on my Facebook. That is it. And that is it. And, and, and I found, so Sebastian would have been six years this year. Yeah. And I found that is so amazing that every year um, you celebrate his birthday. And yeah, it's such a strong... I found that so powerful and true. You are the mother of Reuben, who is seven, Sebastian, who would have been six. And after that, you have two rainbow children that are called Emmanuel, that is four, and Annabelle, who is two. And you're a yeah. family with children full of life. <laughs> <laughs> you could say that. They've got a lot of energy. <laughs> Lots of energy, and, and I really um, I, I am so happy to to give you this space here to, to share your way in maternity and what you've learned from this journey and the courage um, you've gained and how much it makes you stronger as a family. Yeah. Oh well. Thanks. Thanks, Mags. Yeah. I mean, don't know so much about stronger, but yes. No, I was, I was going to say you survive, but it's more than that. You, you, there's hope again and there is joy again and you do smile again after um, a loss like that. And I guess that's what I, I want to be able to offer hope to some women who have to go through that unfortunate, um, you know, with infant loss, however that may be, whether it's miscarriage or a stillborn or, yeah, losing their baby, losing a child at any time. Yeah, it's pretty pretty intense, but I think six years on, I can honestly say that, um, well, it was a bit sooner, sooner than that. It wasn't six years of complete um, misery or anything like that, but I do love, genuinely love my life again. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know whether you want me to start with sharing a little bit about uh, Sebastian and how he came into the world or, yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, yeah. So we were living in England for four years, and um, we were hoping to have get our babies all out of the way really soon. Get, you know, knock them out the park quick because you know the sooner we get them out, the sooner we can sleep again. So we tried really soon. <laughs> second after Reuben, and then um, I moved to France, being pregnant, and I was around six months pregnant, about twenty-five and a half weeks or so. And it was a month after moving here. Um, 
I, I was dropping Darren off at work because I think one of our cars was needing to get fixed or something. And it was that morning that I said, oh, babe, I mean, our, our French is shocking. It still is um, to our shame, but we're trying. But at the time it was really bad. And I said, oh, I better look up what the French word is for contractions, just in case, you know, I better look up the ambulance number just in case. And um, so I put it in, put the Samu number in my phone and um, didn't think anything of it, dropped Darren off went grocery shopping with Reuben, put him down for his nap in the afternoon and, um, and just felt a bit funny, a bit nauseous. And I thought, oh, it's just, I need to get some lunch into me. I'll just lie on the couch. I'm a bit tired, feel a bit sick. And um, yeah, I remember I thought, you know, Sebastian sort of moving inside of me and you know, when your bub's inside you moving and you're kind of not quite sure if it's a, contraction or not it's a little bit painful but they move around in your belly and sometimes it gets uncomfortable so it was a bit like that and yeah it got it just sort of didn't go away I couldn't quite get off the couch and I wasn't really understanding what was happening and um well have you got any discharge or anything a show and I checked and there was blood at which stage I went oh dear okay I better find a number for the hospital or something and then as soon as I thought that like bang, the contractions came on thick and fast and extremely painful. And I thought, oh, I don't think I've got time for that. I've got to ring the ambulance. Thank God I stored that number. So I um, rang them and then I had the, the language barrier, but she knew what was going on. I was just going, contraction, contraction, like screaming down the phone and something in French and um, then managed to find an English speaking doctor on the phone. Thank God. And um, I, I mean, I can't believe Reuben slept through the whole thing because I was in full <laughs> throng of it. And then um, what happened, I managed to give them my address just. They had, <laughs> I didn't realise the French alphabet is kind of different to the English alphabet. That was a bit of a struggle trying to spell out my address. Eventually they figured out where I lived, but I wasn't quite sure. They said, you know, we're sending someone on the way. But then um, I went to my next door neighbour, kind of stumbled next door I said I think my baby's coming come please and can you ring the Samu again I don't know um all the pompiers I don't know if if they understood me if they've got the right you know address so yep the pain was pretty intense anyway cut a long story short they came and 50 minutes uh later Sebastian was born in the ambulance at the hospital as we're sort of arriving in oh in which in um by which stage Darren was there because I rang a friend saying I don't have a car um, and one of our dear friends that we used to live with, with England, in England, uh, had moved to France, thank God. And I just rang her and she was, happened to be near Darren's work, picked him up. And then, yeah, so then uh, Sebastian's rushing in and I'm and, um, going in a different room and Darren's kind of looking there saying, where, where do I go? What do I do? Yeah, so that's how he, my boy came into the world at, yeah, 25 and a half weeks. So you're in the hospital, Darren's arrived there, Ruben, I guess, is at home with the neighbour. Yeah, oh yes, I left the, yeah, I just said to my next door, <laughs> I'm rushing off, yeah, clearly. Um, yeah, and I just headed off, there was six people in the ambulance with me, I guess a team for the baby and a team for me, and um, yeah, and no gas and air, should I say, I struggled with that a little bit. I do, I've heard now that the French do have gas and air in some hospitals. 
I was like, oh my gosh, I need my happy gas. Where is that? So that was, um, that was pretty difficult. But of course, you know, um, yeah, it was, well, the whole thing was quite, quite traumatic. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't quite keep him in longer enough. Wish I could, <laughs> wish I could have. But yeah, um, they eventually found out I had incompetent cervix, but that wasn't until I was pregnant with Emmanuel. So, yeah. And Reuben was a sort of freak baby. I mean, he was a fast labor for my first. He was about three and a half hours. And I went into hospital to get induced. I had obstetric cholestasis. I was itching like mad, you know, just issues with my liver. And they said, no, we're going to have to induce you. And they examined me and said, oh, you're five centimetres. When did your contraction start? And I was like, I don't know, like I'm sort of always in pain because I had um, SPD, symphysis pubis dysfunction. I think one in four women get it. You just feel, you know, pain in your groin and your pelvis and everywhere. And I could, I was, I was maybe on crutches towards the end of my pregnancy with Reuben. It was just quite difficult to sort of walk. So it was difficult to walk anyway. And um, yeah, but anyway, I drove myself to hospital being five centimetres dilated, thinking I was getting induced. So he... Um, came into the world like a rocket super fast and eventually when I spoke to an Australian doctor to sort of debrief everything this premi guru in WA who was amazing he sort of said no that is not quite normal for a first birth and um, yeah and you and like I said by the time it was probably partly genetic as well the fact that my other babies came into the world early well Sebastian did um, I was a 26 weeker myself and also I've just got like hyperextended ligaments. Everything's just kind of a bit loose there. And I think after Reuben, my cervix really just became over eager. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, so a really quick delivery. Yeah. And Reuben's like three uh, hours. Yeah. Emmanuel, um, sorry, Sebastian, it's 50 minutes. Um, Emmanuel, uh, uh, Emmanuel, I don't know, by the time my waters break with all my kids, they're here within like 20 minutes, basically, or Sebastian was basically straight away. Um, but with Emmanuel and Annabelle, I had an epidural with them, but they were all, yeah, maybe sort of a couple of hours or so. I don't know. Yeah, it's been. Yeah, it's okay. Every, every child, yeah. Yeah, it's a different experience yeah. for every child. Yeah. Um, Ruben, you had him in the UK. Yes, I did. Yeah. So what are the difference between, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> birth in the UK and in France? Well, in the UK, um, well, they promote, I guess, natural kind of uh, home births a lot more. And they had, um, I gave birth in Bristol and they opened this beautiful like clinic, like Cosham home birthing clinic. And you could have your partner stay there overnight, which was amazing. But me coming from a nursing background and I'm a little bit of a natural hypochondriac. I'm a bit of a warrior at times. I thought, well, I do want the sort of home birthing-ish experience. But I, so I opted for... Um, the like midwife led unit but within Southmead hospital so I'm just up the corridor if anything goes wrong but anyway that all went out the window as it stands because I had to go get induced um and everything was fine the midwives are really lovely and they they tried to like accommodate I mean I, I had a bath in the room and things like that and we had music playing this and that my husband was obviously able to be there the whole time we're not and um <laughs> but but after I gave birth 
had to share a room with five other women and all their babies. And my husband wasn't allowed to stay the night. And that was a killer because, of course, Reuben slept all day and kept me up all night feeding, <laughs> as they do. Yeah, I'm exhausted. So it would have been nice to have him there, you know. But, um, yeah, limited visiting hours for dads too. That was, that was a struggle. And then when my baby was crying, another woman across the way going, oh, oh like she was just... <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was not a nice postpartum experience, you know, having sort of two two or three days. Oh no, two two days in the uh, hospital in England, sharing with a bunch of mums. And I eventually, I had a few problems breastfeeding, but I discharged myself early just to get home and <laughs> away from that scary woman across the <laughs> across the room from me. Yeah. So anyway, thank the Lord for France and they're like basically single rooms or double at a push, you know, that's, yeah, it's nice giving birth here, <laughs> at least the aftermath of it. Mm. Great. So Reuben came to the world and you started becoming a mummy. Yeah. And you soon got pregnant again. Yeah. About, uh, not as soon as I would have liked or sort of aiming for a, 18 month gap between my two. So it took a while, ended up taking about seven months to get pregnant with Sebastian. But yeah, then we were, found out we were having another boy. And, um, and also at that stage, I, uh, my husband was applying for work um, to see if we could get transferred to Toulouse in France. So it sort of all came up at once. And yeah, so we had an impending move. And then, yeah, it was six months when I arrived, yeah, here in France. <laughs> cool, great. So if we just jump back, because we want to know a bit more about Sebastian, obviously, because, and, and you too, but you, you caught your story in hospital. So you got with the ambulance in her hospital. Uh, yeah. And, and, and Sebastian was, was there, he was there with you. Well, no, yeah, so they um, quickly wheeled him off. Like as soon as the ambulance sort of parked, there was a bunch of sort of nurses waiting for him and doctors and everything. So they whipped him out. I don't know where they, I guess, just to assess him inside. Uh, and they put me and they just eventually got me out, wheeled me to another room just to assess me. I was just in a bit of shock, obviously. And, um, and I delivered my placenta and everything there. And then, um, then I think... It's a bit of a blur, maybe half an hour later or something, they um, wheeled him in in the little sort of incubator thing. Yeah, so I got to, well, I sort of touched his little toes and saw my boy and couldn't give him a cuddle at that stage, but it was nice to have him there with me. And Darren as well was allowed in by that stage. So, yeah, that was the first time I saw him. Yeah. So. Sorry, I, I, I'm asking a question that is because I, I don't know and I, I'm not sure. Was mm -hmm. he already gone by then? His little heart was oh, no. or was uh, he, please. <laughs> um, no, he was actually doing really well. He was um, when he was born, he was breathing himself. They said he's so little that um, you won't hear him cry. It's just because he's so small. But actually, he's a real fighter and he's doing really well. He um, he's. You know, he's breathing on his own. He doesn't actually need oxygen, but we are just assisting him a little bit. Um, 
and um yeah and he was a good weight he was 990 grams which is a good a good weight for a um someone that's yeah a micropremi yeah so i kind of had hope and me being a 26 week in myself i thought well you know medical science has advanced so much through the years i'm what 38 years old now and i thought oh surely you know he's just a week earlier than me you know he should be okay hopefully um but then the doctors were very quick to say, look, you, you just never know with preemie babies. You can have a 28, 29, 30, 30 weeker who is in chronically unwell and or they don't make it. And then you can have micro preemies that make it and do very well. And also it, my labour just came on so suddenly, so quickly. There was no time for preventative care, like um, steroid shots to strengthen their lungs or anything like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was... That was tricky. So he ended up surviving for six days. They sort of, they say the first six days is really critical. And if you make it past that, um, then, you know, it should be okay. But I mean, as it stands, sort of 25 weaker, it's a, it's a fairly high sort of survival rate. Um, but yeah, my boy didn't make it. Day six, um, he had a catastrophic brain bleed and um, it, it, it wouldn't have been fair to keep the life support on at that stage because his organs, you know, sort of heading into organ failure and things. So, yeah, we had to turn off the machines. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was one of the hardest days of my life, yeah. The, the other hardest day, of course, was his, his funeral, both horrible days, but, but I was blessed, Mags, with six precious days with my boy and, you know, some people don't get any and, and some women don't get the privilege of being able to be a mum. So I do, I count my, my blessings. I'm very grateful. But it, I'll always walk with a little bit of a limp, I think. <laughs> there's always a, you know, a little, there's always someone in our family that's missing, but I'm still very grateful and I would never change a thing for having had him and had that time with him. <laughs> And you're keeping him alive in your heart. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think as a as a mum of someone that's sort of lost a child, I think the biggest fear that I have is that he'll be forgotten. Um, yeah, that so. Um, and people grieve differently, and you know, I'm a lot. I'm a verbal processor. I need a verbalize things i need to talk about sebastian it, it, i um well especially in the beginning i really needed to to talk about him with friends and and i thought well what can i do i um i had another friend who had gone through this similar thing and she said what what helped her with the years to come with birthdays was having just close friends like send a birthday card just something to sort of you know remember them by and then she she always sort of have that and keep it in a like a memory box type thing. So I awkwardly emailed friends every year come around November or so in the lead up to his birthday, just asking them, like, if you wouldn't mind, <laughs> please, could you just send a birthday card for my boy? And we spend the day, um, his birthday's on the 5th of December, and we um, generally wake up, open, open birthday cards, and often my husband would sort of have half days or whatever at work, but I would have, you know, um, generally like one of my, my dear friends who um, 
took my husband to the hospital at the time. She would spend the day with me and she doesn't live in France anymore. But, um, and I'd just talk about him and then we'd get birthday cake and with the kids, when Darren would come home in the afternoons, we would um, write little messages. I've got these eco-friendly um, like Chinese paper lanterns things and we write little messages to Sebastian and draw pictures of things that he might like. And that was a really nice visual thing for the kids and then sort of send them up to heaven, you know, up in the sky and happy birthday, Sebastian. And yeah, so that's generally what we do most years, except, you know, this year was, yeah. Um, generally the lead up, I should say, is generally really, really hard, um, the anticipation. And in the day it's sort of a bit less um, emotional or difficult than I thought it would be. But then grief just throws curveballs at you. It comes in waves like when you least expect it. Some days you're travelling fine, some days it's awful. And, and this year was a particularly hard um, year for me, you know, but the lead up was generally okay. Um, and yeah, so I was a, I was a bit of a mess. I just sat and journaled and remembered him and things that I sort of wish um, that will maybe I'll touch on later, like tips for those that maybe go through this tips, things that I wish I sort of had done or kept of him. Yeah. Like a lock of hair. Sorry. Not <laughs> you just say um, it now. You can share it now if that's good. Yeah. Good for you. Sure. It. Just... Yeah. So, I mean, uh, they were amazing. The bereavement nurse that was with us on the day that he passed away, she was phenomenal. Um, and just really softly spoken, lovely. And, you know, we got handprints and footprints of Sebastian and that was really precious. Um, the things that the hospital didn't suggest here, maybe it's changed now, was sort of, you know, really taking photos of him. I never got a lock of his hair, which I sort of, I wish I had. He had a head full of hair. Um, and I wish, I, I did ask them actually, can I please get a photo with my son Ruben, with all of us together? And they said, oh no, he's too little. And this, but I just, I wish I kind of pushed for that a bit, you know, to have that sort of family photo with all of us together. Um, yeah, so that's sort of the things um, that would have been nice. And also, I don't know if they have this in France anymore, but in Australia, they've got um, like cuddle cots. And they're like cold cots um, that it means you can just be with your baby after they pass away for a lot longer. Um, when um, uh, Sebastian passed away in my arms quite soon afterwards, um, it gets a bit difficult because they start to look a bit different and it, it, it's quite upsetting, to be honest. So I got sort of... But if I had sort of that cuddle cot, the cold cot, it would have preserved his body, I guess, a bit more. And I just would have had more time with my boy. And, you know, it's just those, oh, gosh, I could have, yeah, held him forever if I could. But like you said, you know, I've, he's forever in our hearts. And, yeah. So, but I'm so grateful. My, uh, my friend who was a photographer at the time living here, she messaged me on the day that... Um, I knew that I had to turn off life support and she just said, take photos. You might not want to take the photos now, but ever just take them. Um, and she goes, look, I can, I can come if you want and just leave as soon as, you know, not for long. And so I, I did get her to come actually and, and take some photos, which I just treasure forever. I'm so grateful. Um, I'm so grateful that she even mentioned that it's because you're just, uh, you're not thinking straight. Your, your brain isn't, 
just functioning. And almost like as I'm talking to you, it sort of brings me back a little bit and I'm trying to form my words because my emotions are a little bit all over the place that are going back there. Yeah. But um, yeah, I do remember that. So photos, <laughs> take all the photos you can. Mm. When you give birth, you are in an altered state of mind. You are in a vortex that is not your normal self. So I guess when that happens on top of it, you just, you, you just all over the place. So it, it's amazing um, the tips you are sharing here because um, it, it's important and you're giving the, the, the rights to any women that has lost a child to continue celebrating. Yeah, yeah. And that's Absolutely. important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, times have changed and it's changing and, and it'd be really good if we could sort of, I still think, you know, there's, there can be taboo around, you know, I hope at least, but even about we don't talk about miscarriages so much and, um, you know, we don't tell people that we're pregnant, do we, till we're like 12 weeks and then you can go through something really traumatic like that and no one will know that you're sort of going through this. And so, yeah, I would love that if we were just sort of, okay, just in general to talk about things more. But in saying that, I, I am very open. I wear my heart on the sleeve and I'm comfortable with that. And I think, and some people maybe, yeah, like it comes back to the thing, they grieve differently. Um, and that's okay too. So that's, it's sort of just having grace for each other, isn't it, in, in whatever process, however we are processing it, but giving permission to those that want to talk about their loss, you know, absolutely. Um, and just as for, I think I say to some, uh, one of my good friends that, you know, they often text me, oh, I'm sorry to, to bring it up again, you know, maybe around his birthday or, you know, but just thinking of you and, and um, or, you know, how, like recently after his loss, how are you going? I'm sorry if I'm bringing it up again. But, you know, you, I think about Sebastian absolutely every day. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about him. So it's absolutely okay to to bring it up and he's my boy and I'm wanting to, in a sense, to keep his memory alive. Um, uh, yeah. And some, you know, occasionally if I'm too emotional to talk about it, that's fine. You know, but I think, yeah, it's that when someone loses a child, saying something is better, I think, than complete silence and not saying anything at all. So even if it's like, Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm so sorry for you. I don't know what to say. Then that's, that is totally okay and that means the world too so um because i know it can be awkward you just don't want to say the wrong thing for those that you know are supporting those that have been through loss and to be fair no one ever said the wrong thing to me when i lost a boy you know when i lost my boy so um yeah i just was so grateful for the support um yeah for the support that i had and do you know I, <laughs> social media can be like you know fake book a lot of the time it can just be quite irritating sometimes can't it and I remember like I posted you know when Sebastian was born like welcome to the world Sebastian but you came earlier than expected but yeah you're here and love you lots and blah 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 and a few days later Darren's like oh Eva come on like we wear our hearts on our sleeve and I just I feel a bit fake because people are kind of just like you know congratulations congratulations and they've got no idea which of course congratulations it came to the world but I don't think people realize actually quite how touch and go it is with him and do you think we should just, you know, maybe just be a bit more honest in here and just get people around the world praying and get that support for us? Because we just moved to a new country. And also I did not know the language. 
of the, you know, and I'm in this foreign land in a hospital and trying to, well, I had no French, so I was sort of depending on nurses that could um, speak a bit of English and some friends, bless them, that came to translate at the time. But, um, yeah, so then we sort of posted a bit more of his story into the lead-up of him passing away. And I tell you what, Mags, like, you know, I was nervous too at the time, putting my heart out like that, but I remember the day before and the morning of his funeral just scrolling through every single message of support and I would physically just felt strengthened. It's like, no, I can do this. I can face this day. I can, I can get up out of bed. I can do this. I can... I can be, you know, it strengthened me and I would reread them and reread them and I read them now on his birthdays. I still sometimes go through the memories now are popping up on Facebook every year, you know, and I go through and just to remember like, oh, wow, we were so loved and it just meant the world. And I'm just convinced almost that no matter what trauma or difficulties that people go through, if you've got a loving community around you, you know, they just carry you in times when, you know, going through your tough times and it's, yeah, they carried us. Our friends and family carried us through that time and still do in lots of ways. So, yeah. And, and it's about finding that tribe. And, yes. And, and having the courage to, to uh, wear your heart on your sleeve. Yeah, yeah. And then you really can connect with people that mm. like you for who you are. Yes, yes. And that is scary, isn't it? It's scary bearing your heart. I'm very conscious of the fact that when we moved to France, we had this sort of, we lost our child, had this trauma happen, and no one really knew me before I was, like, broken ever. And so that was really tricky. I was like, oh, man, they're going to know this ever. That's a, a burden and a drain and in tears all the time and, you know, this is not me. Generally, I'm, I feel more positive and like, you know, and, and, and that was really hard giving myself that permission, you know, to cry. I remember to cry and to grieve and, and two months after Sebastian died or six weeks, I was like, not that long. A friend came over and she was like, you know, are you, are you okay? And I was crying, just going, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be crying at this point. You know, I should be like getting over it. I don't know what I was thinking like two months later. And she was just like, oh, my goodness, like, no. Like, and it wasn't actually, it wasn't until I had, there was another uh, mum here in the expat community who almost lost her baby that I remember thinking just an incredible sense of, oh, my gosh, I've got to help her. I've got to bring, it, bring her a meal, do whatever I can, you know. Um, and then I thought as well, oh, what was I thinking? You know, she didn't lose her child in the end, thank God. But then I, was, I just remember thinking, why was I so hard on myself, you know, yeah, being so deep in sort of grief. So, um, you know, and it's, and it's okay as well just to know that um, I really want this podcast, I want people to walk away from this feeling a sense of hope that you will smile again one day. It's not going to be, you know, um, dark forever. You know, the, the pain is so immense in the beginning that you can't, you can barely breathe for it. You can, I mean, you can't you can just barely function but eventually you do smile again and it the pain becomes less raw with time you know I just I would notice you know in the beginning it's minute by minute then it's hour by hour and then you go oh it's been a few days now where I've I've sort of felt okay and then yeah so um give yourself that time and also like 
it's admit when you need more help. It like it wasn't until after six months after Emmanuel was born, or four months after Emmanuel was born, I was really struggling with. Um, I think now they're probably panic attacks, just waking up in the night going. Are you there, Darren? Who else? Who else is going to die in my family? Essentially, and and an extreme panic, like Darren, are you okay? Are you okay? Or you know, or is you know, is Ruben okay? Is Emmanuel okay? And just and but that really started to overtake me. Just um, I, I guess a bit of post traumatic stress or something. I don't know. And um, but I remember I went to talking therapy for about six months, which was really really helpful. But it was still I just needed a little bit more help, and I ended up. Um, going on some antidepressants that helped with a lot of anxiety too and there is no shame with that if you need that and I, I did feel like a bit of a you know oh weak why can't I get over this myself you know I should be able to and I really wanted to do it all naturally and I, I knew what was good for me get out and exercise and get out in nature and this and that but sometimes you just need that little bit of help and that's okay too yeah <laughs> so and yeah. it's important <laughs> to to hear it's important to allow yourself to say hey you know i i can't manage this i really don't know how to do it i'm really yeah. hard and 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 it i i don't know what to do now so i need support and that's yeah. really courageous yeah i mean i remember i did yeah texting a friend um well i rang i rang an old friend in australia going sort of this is what's going through my mind at the moment like i and you know is this kind of normal do you think about this like really um loads of health anxiety death anxiety this and that it was just it was probably a lot of my pregnancy hormones after you know they dropped it about four months after having Emmanuel she's like no you're probably not in the best state sort of mentally and that was a real gift she's like it's okay you know and then I yeah and I messaged a friend confidentially please don't tell anyone, you know, I just remember feeling so worried about it. And now it's on the internet for all to see, just about going on some antidepressants for a bit. Like it's okay. It's not a big deal. And it, it's totally fine, you know? Um, and I still feel my emotions. I still feel happiness. I still feel sadness, but it's just um, leveled things out. I'm not in that fight or flight response all the time, you know, like on edge, you know, yeah. Worrying about who else is going to pass away sort of in my family. Yeah. And, and, and with that past experience, of course, having a new baby, uh, you can imagine all the, the anxiousness that, that comes along, <laughs> wanting yeah. to continue to be okay. Um, yeah. Oh, there was a couple of, yeah, there was a panicked ambulance call in the middle of the night when there was croup. And I mean, I, I did think he was having trouble breathing, but I just went immediately to, oh my gosh, no, he's going to be seen now, you know. Um, perhaps I would have seen it through. Um, yeah, it got better by the time, and well, I guess by the time Annabelle came around, I yeah, I had more time and um, my emotions had settled more. But we, you know, we got pregnant with Emmanuel quite quickly after we lost Sebastian, about three months after, and then his pregnancy was difficult too. I was on, we almost lost him at about around twenty-one weeks. My cervix started to go, um, and that's when they. Um, my obstetrician goes, okay, now we know why we lost Sebastian. Actually, you have an incompetent cervix. I, I don't know if he's going to make it to 24 weeks. You're on bed rest now. And, um, yeah, so I stayed in hospital for about 10 weeks and then did bed rest at home. And he eventually came at, like, 37 weeks or something. So I managed to keep him in and had some, yeah, so I had an 
an emergency stitch at about 21 weeks, um, cervical circlage. And um, but by the time Annabelle came around, we always wanted, um, you know, three kids alive in our family. And so we kind of sought medical advice and we just sort of said, look, is it irresponsible if we go for another? We would really love another child. And they just said, no, now that you know what you got, you can have a preventative stitch at 14 weeks and it'll be, you know, it's like 1% risk of having preterm birth. You'll be fine, essentially. So... Yes, and then that was Annabelle was a whole different board game, a lot less fraught with um, stress. So, yeah. So we're really lucky, to, I guess, to have Emmanuel here with us as well. Yeah. And Annabelle, I mean, all that, that journey to, to continue wanting your family of free, yeah. alive children and, and, and trusting, you know, life and, and, and having yeah. hope and continuing. Yeah. And, and here, yeah, no, yeah, no, that was difficult. Yeah, it, it's because you feel this, you know, I was torn between, I don't want to just be selfish and keep popping out children if it's not, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't, yeah, but um, it, we just always had in our mind, you know, three children, three children. And yeah, and it sounds a bit woo-woo, but years ago when I was, um, like single, I had this intense, vivid dream of like of that I would have a baby girl, and that her journey to here would have been a real special thing. And I just, I just knew I was going to have a girl. So I know it sounds a bit like I don't know, a bit crazy, but I just, I just knew that a girl was coming on the way. But I did still get the obstetrician to check about six times because by that stage I had three boys. I thought it's pretty low chance I'm going to have a girl, but um, yeah. So little Annabelle. <laughs> And it is trust in your dream, and and I, I, there's nothing woohoo. There are there are things that are coming to us. There are messages and signs, and and that's okay. And you knew it, and and it happened, and, it, and that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I mean, it, I think it's funny. You, you know, you deal with things. It was easy for me in a way because I had that sense of control of having the bubble in me. I could feel things when things were happening. But my husband surprisingly yes yeah, struggled I think more so with um than my following sort of pregnancies and um in the end yeah so it can be hard it can be hard for the boys they don't get to you know they're not sort of carrying the child that he doesn't know what it felt like just before Sebastian was sort of coming into the world so like, um and I, I had SPD with my with all my pregnancies uh like I said that pain so which was the same pain before I gave birth to Reuben and Sebastian so Darren's always like what is it now? Is it happening? <laughs> you know, um, are you sure you're okay? Yeah. So bless him. He sort of, my dad came from Australia, like super dad, I swear. And he just came, he's like, I'll stay till, for Darren's sake, really, you know, I'll stay till Annabelle comes safely into the world. And, you know, he did like all the lifting for Emmanuel. He like did school drop-offs and was just phenomenal. So again, that community, that support was great. But and I think that's important what you're touching here is that, of course, um, what happened in your journey also affects Darren. It also affects your partner yeah. and, and how yeah. you communicate about this and how both of you thought, go back in being tr trusting. In trust. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> interesting sort of comment. I. Yeah, I um, I think 
what was helpful well after we had sebastian and we really wanted another one the the obstetrician just sort of said look sometimes these things just happen it's a, just a bit of a freak thing i can't i checked your cervix a week before ah this is a difference between the english and the french system you know we say it's sort of over medicalized here but in a sense that saved me and saved me a lot of guilt because within a month of moving here you know i would not have been checked in the uk because it's like low risk pregnancy i wouldn't have been i wouldn't have been checked till i don't know quite later on after the anomaly scan but here it was you know, no, I want some bloods done. I was like, oh, and I remember saying, are you sure I need them? No, no, it's fine. Because he's like, no, no, just go get them done. And he, you know, checked my cervix length and all that. And thank God, because after Sebastian came, I was like, well, did you see cervix length? Was that all? He's like, ever, it was all normal. It was just so quick. Your body went into, you know. And it was, sort of, it was unexplained at that time. But that, um, yeah, that helped me a lot. I thought, okay, yeah, just knowing I did everything I could, I guess, medically as well. There was nothing that could have done you know that i could have done to really um to have kept him in the world longer it wasn't my fault kind of thing um and that's that's the thing you know the guilt that you, you know mother guilt is horrible isn't it but when you lose a child i i probably blamed myself though in in a, in a sense for sebastian's death for about three years after until i spoke to a doctor in Australia only from the sense of uh, this is probably a language barrier thing too but in the nurses were saying look if there's any kind of trauma like if your baby's too cold or too much pain or this or that that can cause a catastrophic well it can cause a big brain bleed like I don't know if I'm getting it right even here medically but essentially they're saying yeah we've got to be you know they, they need a warm calm peaceful sort of environment you just don't want to you know I was like, okay and the the night before Sebastian died he was crying and wouldn't settle at all and he he had, um, his colour wasn't very good. The nurse wasn't very happy with him and and he just would not stop crying. And I kept on sort of putting the dummy in him, trying to settle him. You know, I'm not really able to hug, you know, got my hand on him firmly, trying to settle him. Nothing um, was stopping him crying. He was really distressed. And um, I remember just thinking, Eva, be his mum. You're not a nurse in this situation. Just be the mum and trust the nurses here. And I sort of said, well, I said to a nurse, can you not have morphine or anything? And, and for whatever reason, she couldn't give it at that time. Or well, she didn't. And I didn't push that point. And because I didn't push that point later, I thought, oh, he was in pain that night. Then he had a catastrophic brain bleed. It's my fault. I should have pushed for the morphine, you know. Um, and for three years, I thought that. And I went back to the hospital and I wanted to speak to the treating doctor to go through all the paperwork and all that. And they said, oh, I've never heard of that doctor. I don't know who he... <laughs> who she is and and so I couldn't find the name of the treating doctor it was strange and but then years later I just um this doctor in Perth who did like the longest I think he world leading researcher in premature births I uh booked an appointment with him I talked to him for over two hours and I recorded it so I could go back and remind myself he just said you know Eva I am you know like 500 percent sure you had nothing to contribute towards the death of Sebastian. It was just all I needed. Three years later, a load off me. And he explained things medically, what happened. He's like, look, you know, as he's recovering and his blood pressure's getting, you know, um, stronger as the days go on, it's, you know, he would have had all these micro bleeds as soon as he was born. And he had it, even the fact that he was born in an ambulance and sort of not in the hospital at that time when he critically needed to be there. You know, it's all those sort of contributing factors. But he could talk it through with me and I really needed to debrief it in my mother tongue so um yeah so 
um, it was nice to let go of that grief, that um, grief, the guilt, sorry. That, I, I think it's amazing what you're saying is you had the courage to go deep inside you and go and search what you needed to feel better with yourself. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't think of it like that, actually. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like I needed the, I needed to have the medical knowledge, I guess being a nurse, I wanted to sort of go through it all. And um, yeah, I think you're right, yeah. And also there's something just trusting in a sense that whatever will be will be in a sense trusting in the sovereignty of God or whatever. Like when I was holding Sebastian and we had to turn off the machine, you know, like he's opening his eyes and looking at us, you know, and and my husband sort of went back to the nursing staff like, are you sure? Are you, are you sure? Like, you know, you feel like you're killing your child by turning off the machine sort of thing. Like, are you sure we should be doing this? And they said, no, we need, you know, we consult with three top consultants and we all need to look at the scans and individually sign off on this thing. It's not just a really nearly decision kind of thing, a decision that's taken lightly. And, um, yeah, and so as we turned off the machine... (laughs) I just had to trust. I thought, well, God, you know, if he's meant to be in the world, he, he will keep breathing. I've heard of miracles. I know that they happen, you know. And it wasn't his, you know, he didn't stay. That was okay. At least he died. He died loved. <laughs> he died so loved in the arms of, yeah, in my arms. And, yeah, it was the best cuddle. It was such a gift. I All I wanted was to cuddle him before Christmas and, so he was born on the 5th of December and, the, um, you know, at the time when I thought that he'd be sort of okay and I thought, oh, as long as I get a cuddle before Christmas, but I, I got my cuddle. But, um, yeah, so the 11th of December he passed away and, yeah, it was the best cuddle, Mags. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll always treasure that. I'm so glad I got to, and got he to hold my He chose you to come and live this experience in your arm and, and, and with your support. And and yeah. you did everything you could to support it on this journey, and that's the and and today you've got him in your heart, and you yeah. do your <laughs> journey to continue your your way for these three other beautiful children that you have with you to support them on their journey, and yeah. to, to to always remember uh, the fact that you're the mother for. And you're doing an, yeah. an incredible job here together with Darren in supporting Michael, Ruben and Annabelle. Thank you. And, you know, he was such a gift. The gift that kind of, if there can be something good that comes out of it, but the gift that Sebastian gave me was, you know, to I just hug my kids so tight now. And it, it changed the way I parent in the sense I was... I think we can be hard on our firstborns and sometimes you sort of, you don't know what else to expect. You don't know um, if they have a tantrum or something. It's like you blame yourself for being an awful parent and but not realising, you know, I'm just learning so much about um, the developmental stages of kids and what they go through. And I think that's, that's really important. So after Sebastian was born, it's just I prioritise, I try to prioritise. I'm no guru at attachment parenting <laughs> like, but I really try and just make a point of prioritising that relationship and connection 
um, over me having to have my own way and you need to obey just because I said so, which I would have been, I think, more so in the past. Um, and, yeah, it just helped me. It's helped me not to sweat the small stuff. Um, I, I mean, I still do. Like I said, I'm a bit of a natural hypochondriac. <laughs> I worry about things. But in general, you know, it's, it's made, yeah, um, parenting that much sweeter in the sense like, oh, Emmanuel and Annabelle and Ruben, I just absolutely adore them and I feel like I can be more present um, in my relationship with them. Yeah. I do still yell too much, so I don't want anyone feeling like <laughs> I know, like I have no parenting saint, but at least, you know, it's my goal. I'm working towards that. And, and yeah, Sebastian really sort of changed the trajectory with that, I guess. I wouldn't have probably considered, um, yeah, that you could sort of potentially parent in a respectful way, not yelling at your children. <laughs> Yeah. And you do your best and we all have ups and yeah. downs. And it is tricky to be a parent. It is tricky to yeah. to, to, to go on the way and respect and, and, and give the space to every child in their unique essence. And also, yeah. you know, um, have your own space that feels good and your partner space. And, and it's all a very interesting yeah. jigsaw puzzle. It's a journey. Yeah, yeah. It's a journey that we live together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Well, thank you. Thank you, Eva. It was amazing. Thank you for oh. for sharing. Oh, that's okay. Thank you. Thanks for the privilege of being able to share with you. And yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. It was really lovely to talk with you and always happy to talk about my, my boy. <laughs> yeah. The episode is now finished. I really hope you enjoyed it. This podcast is here for you. Please contact me to give feedback, suggestions and themes that you would like that we discuss. You can find out all the information from my guests and my contacts in the text underneath the episode. I believe that it is together that we go further so please help me to connect with a maximum of pregnant couples to support them in their enlightened choices go on apple podcasts find the podcast authentic birth scroll down to the bottom of the page and find the section ratings and reviews click on the number of stars that you would like to give to support the podcast Five is the best to diffuse the message further. Looking forward to seeing you on the next episode. And in the meantime, look after yourself. Each birth is unique. May yours be truly authentic. <laughs>